Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Here we are in an educational system that has already tossed us aside, right? So when you look at a school and you see it's predominantly black, you're already like, I ain't seen a monkey is there, mm-hmm. right? But it's a space that has already been discarded, right? They're not following what we're doing. What a rich opportunity to teach our children what they're not learning in these other spaces. And that's why mm-hmm. I think we need to design a system that teaches all of that. Where are we teaching math and science? My husband uh, was a math teacher for many, many years. He doesn't teach the Pythagorean theorem. He teaches the so-called Pythagorean theorem because Pythagoras went to Egypt to learn that. When our babies understand, when they understand who they are, you're descendants of kings and queens. I will call you prince and princess in this classroom. When they get that, their minds are open as opposed to go through this metal detector, you sit over here, I'm gonna put you on an island over here in the corner by yourself, you're doing way too much. That's not how we talk to our kids. We can't allow them to remain in that system. In that system, in that system. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back. We're glad to have you with us again. This dope-ass sound you're getting comes from DRS Studios. You can catch them at drsatl.com. We got a, you know you know how we do now. We got an amazing episode today. We're <laughs> going to a place that's personal for me and probably personal for a lot of you all out there listening. Mm-hmm. You're hearing our voices already, but officially, you got Vince with you today. Art, back in the building. We want to start this episode just slightly different. We, we need to do a better job of this, but... We interact with so many of our listeners, especially on IG. I just kind of want to talk about a few of them real quick. Tell you what they're telling us. So, um, Angela3K, I'm not going to give her whole name, hit us up and said, no one ever told me or taught me my black culture. My father was black and native. My grandfather was one of the original people who came here through the Underground Railroad. And I just want to say how much I appreciate these stories that helped me realize who I am and the power that I have. We heard from Amazing, and he says, Hey, I've been wanting to write you since I listened to the podcast this morning about mental health. It hit home with me on a lot of things I'm going through. It's hard trying to function day to day just to seem normal. And he wrote a lot more, a lot of it's personal, so I won't go into that. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for paying attention. Thank you for listening. Thank you for helping us. The last one I want to read is from Patty Wilkins. If I'm saying that right, Patty, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I didn't get it right. But I really appreciated this one. We get it relatively often. But Patty says, I'm an, I'm an almost middle-aged white dude. I feel like I know nothing about being a black American. My existence means nothing if I don't open myself up to other human experiences. That's where I'm at. And thank you for helping me do that. So I love the fact that my brothers and sisters are listening. 
I love the fact that, that we're getting better. But I also love the fact that there's some white folks out there listening, paying attention, contributing, and learning. Did I say contributing? You did. Contributing <laughs> you did. and learning. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe, maybe I should take the gum out of my mouth. <laughs> but I just Everybody knew to, what you meant, though. Right, right. We can mess up some words on Wild yeah, Black. Man, we, we, we will murder words. That is one thing that we generally will, will at least do a couple times. Okay, the gum is out of my mouth now. <laughs> All right, so back to today's episode. It's personal to me because I'm a father of two black children who participate in this education system. Man, yes. And there have been so many things that I try to do to help ensure, if possible, their future. And education is one that's important to me. Um, so I won't go into everything now because I don't want to steal the shine from our guest today because she does indeed shine bright, which you'll see. And just a heads up, she's been in school a long, long time. So she educated. No, she educated. Yes, <laughs> yes. Seasoned in the education right. game. Or right, when, when you think about your kids and, and education in school, I know yours are a little bit younger. Yeah. What do you think, man? As it relates to what Just specifically? what's happening for them in the future. Yeah. How do you feel about the educational system? Yep. What are your thoughts it's, as a black I would parent? It's, it's one thing that I worry about constantly. Um, I think education. My, my, my mom uh, is a retired educator. So I remember as a kid, all of the exercises, all of the things. Man, I had a, a, a map of the United States and when I was a shorty and was learning the state capitals. And I always remember like the little lessons like every every like week throughout the week it was something that I was learning that was not necessarily something that's just like a natural thing that you would get as a kid mm -hmm. um but it's because of my mom as an educator so I translate that to my two girls that are uh really young they got two birthdays coming up whoop, whoop. happy birthday yes yes um and man I'm hoping that our educational system can produce and generate the amount of love for education that I have for my mom. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, they have really good ones in daycare. She has a really good daycare staff that isn't, they, they think education is super important, so they do little exercises and things with it, which is great. Right. And then my five-year-old, um, she loves school, she loves math, and she's getting into reading. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I think education is probably the most important thing I don't know why we spend so much on defense and not as much on education. That's that's how I put it. But my, I agree with that. Yeah, my. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm just a lover of education, but I am I am concerned about the future of my little ones kind of getting and then you know from middle school, high school, elementary, middle, high school, like that whole path and journey can be, cannot be right. So mm. we kind of got to stay on on our game with with that. But but yeah, overall, I think you know. It is a concern. It's probably forefront of my mind. Yeah. It's funny you say you, you made the point about spending more on defense and education because I think that even translates into our schools. We mm -hmm. spend more money and more time and more budget on police officers in the school than we do Which mental health professionals, than we do the right amount of teachers, than we mm -hmm. do music programs, than we, than we do the programs and the resources that can really expand and educate our children. But let's be quiet for a second. I, I want to jump in and get our <laughs> guests introduced. Yeah. We'll handle the business real, real quick. Follow us, share us. By now, you know what we do. We tell the stories of black folks in any industry who, by choice or by force and by their blackness, operate in a nuanced manner. Think code switching, think getting pulled over by the police. We also tell the stories of struggle and success from us, for us, and by us 
that will help us inspire to grow and go. I want to do that real quickly. Again, share us. Hit our Facebook page up. Hit our Instagram page up. Doing it quickly because we're taking too long. I want to get into <laughs> what we got going on today. Yeah. So our guest today is Dr. Adria Welcher. And I'm going to read her bio to you. It's pretty dope. I'm going to read it backwards. <laughs> Dr. Welcher's primary research interests are race and class inequalities in education outcomes and residential choices. Specifically, she focuses on the experience of black middle-class families. Her research is bolstered by her education, which consists of, get ready, a doctorate in sociology from Emory University. That's one. A bachelor's in theater with a minor in mathematics from Spelman College. That's two. You can probably say two and a half. <laughs> a master's in higher education from the University of Michigan. That's three. We're going to go three and a half. And another master's in sociology from Stanford University. Folks, that's like four and a half degrees. Plus all this. She's been in school a long time. (laughs) She is rich with this information. And on top of that, what makes her so dope is she's got opinions to go with these facts. Y'all are in trouble today. Adrian, welcome (laughs) to Wild Black. I am excited to be here. Thanks. Thanks Mm, for mm, having mm. me. Tell the folks a little bit more about you, including how many years did you spend in school? I'd lost count. Um, <laughs> so I, I was just in my doctorate program for eight years. So I was in school for a very long time, most of my adult life. I didn't really start a full-time real job until I was 34. So all of those formative years um, were spent, and I think for good use. I think Absolutely. that I needed all that education. And I think what's really, really special about my journey is I'm also a mother. Right. And so mm-hmm. I have four children. And so much of that time. And a whole husband. And a whole husband who's amazing. Um, But the whole time that I was in graduate school, this last track getting my doctorate, I was raising my children, Mm. which is how my area of interest, my research interest developed. Um, Because, you know, when you're in graduate school, you are not balling out. And so you have to be very, very savvy in terms of the decisions that you make about where to send your children, how to educate your children. Mm -hmm. And because you are pursuing a doctorate, you have a very high value on education. Right, Um, absolutely. And through countless conversations with my classmates, my friends, my sorority sisters, my organizational members, this is when I realized this is not just a struggle for you because you're in graduate school. This is a struggle for you because you are a black woman Mm -hmm. who's educated and wants the best for your kids. Mm -hmm. So that's me in a nutshell. That's it. Well, we are so (laughs) glad to have you. Yes. And this is going to be a fun conversation because, (laughs) again, these are things that I know so many of you all are dealing with and thinking about. And and I'm personally doing the very same thing. By the way, side note, we're going to have an episode coming up soon. It's just going to go deep in art and eyes so you can get a chance to learn a little bit more about us. I realize that all this time we've been talking to experts and guests. Yeah. We don't tell them a whole lot about, about ourselves. Us. So we, we got an episode coming up that's going to do that. But today... I'm looking forward to that one too. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> you want to take me through this wild black shit, brother? Oh, I sure do. This is going to be amazing. We, we finna see if through all this schooling... Is Adria maintain mm-hmm. that black card membership? Right, right, right. The black card is on the line right now with these three. You ready? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you how it works. So Wild Black, uh, our Wild Black shit portion is really, it's an icebreaker kind of session where we ask you a few questions. Three questions. Um, she look a little nervous on I'm there. nervous. Palms yep. are sweaty. Two questions are kind of fun questions. And third is our signature question. We ask every one of our guests this third question. And we love it. Um, first question. In Black Uno, can you play a draw two card on top of a draw four card? 
So not in Black Uno, but you can, not in my Black Uno, but you mm-hmm. can double stack. So if you have multiple draw twos in your hand, you can stack them up. I'm with that. I, I love how she said, not in my not Black, in my right. black I Uno. Qualify. My I had black to qualify Uno. it. Okay. Hmm. So, you hmm. know. All right, what's your position on that, bro? I see, I see we disagree. Is it, No, I think, so in Black Uno, you can. Oh. You can hit them with the multiple. Yes. Different different face cards. So a draw mm-hmm. four and a draw two. Yes. Oh my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my. You can do that. What's beautiful about this whole black that. Uno is ain't no written rules. <laughs> right. Because right. it ain't no black. Ain't no black Uno rules. Right. <laughs> we just okay. we just we, just, we, we just make we make it black and mm-hmm. it's ours. Oh, my family will love to hear this new rule. Right. That'd be great. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm in your camp. I'm like you can't play that. On top, you better you better get them cards I just made you get. Right. But I do got some folks like, uh-uh. He got to get them cards. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay. Mm. <laughs> hey, listeners, hit us up. <laughs> let, let us know us what Uno. you think about Black Uno. <laughs> Can you play that draw two card on top of a draw four? Or you got to walk away with four extra cards? What, what you thinking out there, listeners? I can't wait to hear this one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> second coming. question. Multiple choice. This is going to really test it. In Boys in the Hood, just before Ricky was shot, what was he sent to the store to get? This multiple choice now. A, Wonder Bread for sandwiches. B, sugar for Kool-Aid. C, cornmeal for fish. Or D, cigarettes. I'm going to give them to you again. A, Wonder Bread for sandwiches. <laughs> B, sugar for Kool-Aid. C, Cornmeal for fish. D. Cigarettes. Um, <laughs> and I have seen boys in the And hood you probably remember the scene times. too. With the- I'm gonna tell you, this, this is a tougher one. Oh gosh. Um <laughs> she, you I think it's only one person in this room that knows this answer. So I'm elimi- <laughs> I'm eliminating right process of elimination. This okay. is the academic in me. I'm eliminating cornmeal for fish. Why? Okay. Because that just seems like a lot. Okay. Was is that the right answer? Okay, I got I got through. Okay, that's all right. We okay. don't know you. I, I do SAT prep. I know how this works. Okay, so <laughs> we're eliminating cornmeal. I'm I'm gonna say sugar. Sugar for sugar Kool-Aid. for Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. Because you know that's that's what black folks do. You know what? What? I'm gonna say Wonder Bread for sandwiches. You going Wonder Bread? It for was sandwich? so specific. Mm-hmm. The Wonder Bread was so specific. That's why I just bread. I would have been okay with, but Wonder Bread specifically. Well, I will mm-hmm. tell y'all this. Your black cards are in jeopardy. Oh, no. It depends on the answer you get for the third one. The real answer is indeed cornmeal for fish. God, to be more careful. <laughs> what was it, really? <laughs> really? She was getting ready to cook. Cornmeal for fish. Go get that, Ricky. Hmm. All right, third question. Signature question. Okay, here we go. <laughs> what do you love most about life while black? What I love most about life while black, and I will bring this full circle during our conversation today, is that I am so proud of all of our blackness, Mm. right? So many of us are, you know, we get a little education, we get a little money, and we start talking about them, your cousins, Mm -hmm. and and, and that language. And I love all of it. I love our colorful hair. I love our creativity with our nails. I love that we can be Oprah Winfrey's and Gayle King's. I love that whatever you want, you find in black. I love. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. 
in collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That answer, that was succinct, detailed, clear. That was beautiful. Thank you, sir. Do I still have my black card? Yeah, I, th- I think oh, you're yeah. okay. Yeah, okay. You, you, that answer came through real, <laughs> yeah. real strong. Thanks. Plus, you killed the black, no question. You were right there on that. You you See, like on in my black Uno. his black Uno. See, everybody everybody got a little version of black Uno. That's why we need a sheet. You need to write up the rules mm-hmm. and then publish it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the official Wild Black Uno rules. We need to find an Uno sponsor. I see mm-hmm. it. Make that our first sponsor. <laughs> black Uno, come holla at us. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So we're moving to the dope quote. And Art, I'll let you read it because I'm going to start prepping for the civil wrong. But okay. the dope yeah. quote is, it's like the thematic. It's the, it's the basis for the episode. It's kind of going to weave its way throughout the entire episode. So I'll shut up, let Art hit you with it while I'll take a look at the civil wrong we got coming up next. So the paradox, and this is a quote from James Baldwin. Um, and James Baldwin is, is, he's just amazing. Absolutely. He's definitely a wild um, black favorite, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the things that he says... It, like you said them yesterday. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like so, mm-hmm. so like relative, appropriate so to applicable. now. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me let me read it real quick. It actually, man, it made me think about um, made me think about a whole bunch of stuff. But let me let me read it. The paradox of education is precisely this: that as one begins to become conscious, one begins to examine the society in which he is being educated. Read it one more time. The paradox of education is precisely this. That as one begins to become conscious, one begins to examine the society in which he is being educated. What do you think about that? I think James Baldwin was and always will be a genius. Mm, Second that. And I think most important about that quote, and this goes to the concern that you raised about educating your daughters. Is our education system truly endeavoring to make us conscious? Because if we become conscious, Mm. if we become woke, as the Mm. young people like to say, then we do challenge. We do push back, right? Mm -hmm. This rage of which James Baldwin speaks about in another famous quote. So just, you know, Mm -hmm. that quote, that's the basis for this entire podcast. Oh, well, excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. But that rage, our society can't exist if we understand, if our conscious level is raised to a point that we question, we challenge, we push back. We'll destroy the system. We will. Like, there's no other way. And um, my heart is broken because that is not how or why we're being educated. But I think that that quote summarizes why we spend more money on defense than mm-hmm. on education. I completely agree. Wow. Like hearing, hearing you say that, I wow. thought about it from a similar perspective, but, but not the same. When you, when you talked about that's why they don't educate us to be conscious in school, I didn't even process it that way. In my mind, where I went was, as we become adults and we begin to engage in our own learnings and we find our way to that consciousness that you speak about, then with that rage, we have a responsibility to funnel part of that rage into reaching back to change the system because 
my children and your children and your children, as they're going through the system, they are not conscious. Therefore, they cannot necessarily challenge what's happening, nor can they change it. So it's our responsibility as the conscious, the woke adults to push ourselves back. It's why, with as many problems as I've had with my son's school, I'm running for one of the parent positions inside of the organization right now because I want to be there to see what's happening, to change what's happening, to be part of what I want to see happen. Mm -hmm. So that's that's my perspective. I thought that was dope, by the Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. If we're not educated to be conscious, then we don't get to this point without some external factor actually coming in and influencing us to begin to challenge and think about the world a little differently, which is where he's going with that, that last piece of, you know, then you begin to examine society in which you have been educated or you're being educated in. So then you begin to think about the whole system, like you mentioned, and then you start to think it it, it becomes more revolutionary thought processes Mm -hmm. because you begin to understand that this is not designed for you. That's right. Nor has it been designed for you to become consciously aware of what's actually happening to you. Mm -hmm. So you can decipher this so many different ways. And the paradox is exactly that. Yeah. And we live in it every day. Every single day. Yep. We're going to move into this this core portion of the interview. You ready? I suppose. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do <laughs> it. Having a great time. So, actually, we can skip the first question because you already talked about, like, no, actually, we'll ask it again. We'll, we'll go a little bit deeper. Um, you mentioned earlier it was the fact that you were working on your doctorate while you were a mother that kind of led you to what it is that you do. So, speak more specifically around why interest in race and class inequalities became a focus of yours. Absolutely. So I remember very clearly, I was at uh, breakfast at Panera with one of my, um, trying to keep this person anonymous. It's okay. Um, one of my colleagues. Right. Um, and we were talking about where to put our kids in school because they were all in preschool at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, this particular woman, well-educated, her husband, well-educated, um, they're affluent. Um, you know, and we are having the exact same conversations about our kids and what matters and what doesn't matter and how different our experience was. You know, our mom just put us out at the end of the driveway. We got on the bus yep. and we went to school. Um, but the blessing and the curse in being in Metro Atlanta is that we have school choice. We can right. decide what neighborhood we want to live in. And even if we're in that particular neighborhood, our kids don't have to attend that school. Right. So we began this conversation over bagels about what are we going to do with our kids? Right. And the conversation was not just about the academics. Of course, we want them Mm -hmm. to get great schools, but we want them to be proud black children as well. And to not see any shame attached to that, not to be criminalized because of that. Right. um, And to be in a space that really, really values all of who they are. So, of course, with educated parents, the expectation is that our children will be reading at three. And they were. The expectation is that our children will know how to present themselves in a classroom. And they did. Mm -hmm. The expectation is not that our children will get that sort of love, if you will, back from the school. And we were like, so what do we do? And that is really, it was through this conversation. I should, mm. I should thank her, actually. It was through this conversation that my dissertation came about. Because I realized that it wasn't just with her that I'd had this conversation. It was with a number of friends and colleagues. Mm-hmm. Because here we are with all this stuff. And we want to ensure that our children are better. Right. right? We want to give them every advantage. What does that look like? Right. And how do we not compromise academics for racial socialization? And how do we not compromise racial socialization for academics? And how do we not spend our entire lives driving across and town in a car? That is my crux right there, what you just said. It's, it's tough. I think it's everybody's. 
Yeah. So let's, let's Everybody black. make our way to that. You talked about racial socialization versus the, the academic impact or whatnot. You said it better than I did, but like a big question, and I'm jumping kind of all through, but again, this one's personal for me. How does a parent balance that? And, and, and for you all listening, just in case you don't understand what we're talking about, it's how do you balance ensuring your children or at least positioning your children to get the best education versus putting them in a place where their color is appreciated, they're nurtured, they're developed, they're loved, right? And it's, of course, it's more complicated than that, but that's the crux of, of my question. So how do parents do that? So I think the, the language that we have to use in 2019 America is trade-offs. Right. So we have to pick and choose. We can't have it all. Um, I love That's E. Franklin so Frazier. <laughs> I love it. E. Franklin Frazier because he was very critical of the black middle class and the mm-hmm. black elite early on. Right. When Du Bois was still believing that, you know, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to be the talented 10th. Right. <laughs> um, and what happens, and this actually relates back to the Baldwin quote, what happens is the more educated that we become, our standards align differently. Yes. Than they did when we began our education. Mm-hmm. So, Because we know more. We know more. And we know what success looks like. Mm-hmm. At least what we've been told it looks right. like. And in many cases, it doesn't look like the sister girl down the street with the nails and the hair and right. that language that we're like, what'd you say? Come again? Code switching, Americanization, all that. Exactly. Yeah, right? Westernization. So, yes. And so we really, really struggle in trying to make sense of, okay, well, I am middle class, but I'm still black. So how do those things coexist? And then how do I reproduce that for my children? to ensure that my children are black and middle class and do better, right? right? Because every generation wants the successive generation to do better. So the real issue is that we have to pick and choose what's most important. Um, personally, I'm going to say that unfortunately, I think many black middle class parents have chosen the academic option over the racial socialization option, which is now why we hear stories about um, black male youth, um, getting confused, the the ones who go to college, right? So they're athletes at college and they may take too many liberties. And then we see their draft pick drop Mm -hmm. because there was a girl, whether white or not, that they mistreated um, and not understanding sort of the racial dynamics that are inherent in that conversation. So so I think that that what we have to do as black middle-class parents is recognize black middle-class is not a real thing. Like there's not a place for us in this world. You're either middle class, which is associated with white, or Mm -hmm. you're black, which is associated with poor. So when you are black and have some means, you've got to sacrifice because there's not a place for you. There there is no Cosby show, right? And that's the Cosby show with the Huxtables, to which I'm referring. There is no, that that life doesn't really exist. It's an NBC narrative. Yeah, it's it's make-believe. Right, it's make-believe. And so as we are here in the real world, Trying to negotiate, okay, well, we want this experience. We want to expose our children to jazz. And we, we want to do all these things that the Huxtables were able to do. How do we realistically do that? And the answer is we have to compromise and sacrifice. And that's, that's where I am in my work now. Yeah. And that's so tough because, again, when you start talking about mm. the black families who have to make that choice, like, how do you decide what you give up? How do you make that trade-off? Right, because it is that, indeed tough. And then, like, coming from personal experience, like, I've made that decision. And when I moved to Atlanta, the school district that I was looking at and eventually bought my home in 
made me feel more comfortable because their scores were off the charts. Right. Everything looked great. And all I saw was my children can go here and they can be the best. They're already amazing. They can be mm-hmm. the best that they can be. Right. And where I was coming from, my children were each the only black kid in their grade. So now that they're going to be, you know, 15 black kids in their grade, we're doing great. That's right. That's progress. But now that I'm here, I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I made the right choice because... Now I see the stats that, you know, there's 16 more times likely to be expelled. That's right. Or I've had some of the conversations I've had with the school about grooming for black children and right. apparel and Amistad being, being the name, being the name, being the name of one of the houses. Uh, that yeah, yeah, that's, like, these are wow. all battles. I feel like I shouldn't have to waste my energy fighting because I got tons of other stuff. Almost said, as you know, but we, we try not to curse today. But I got all these <laughs> other battles that I need to be fighting. So, like, again, listeners, that's why this is so personal to me because I'm living it. But I think you broke it down like, great, it's about the trade-offs. So in order to understand what those trade-offs look like, you need to have a really good understanding of what's happening in these schools. Mm -hmm. So for us here and for our listeners, what does systematic racism look like in our school system today? What are these kids dealing with? You just gave an excellent example, right? The disparities in discipline. Mm -hmm. So there was a study that came out of Yale, I believe in 2016, Mm -hmm. where these These researchers, very, very, I love the research design. They looked at preschoolers Mm -hmm. and the the suspension rate. Because believe it or not, kids are getting suspended in preschool. Oh, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they tracked preschool. Oh yes, preschool. Look look it up. Yale, Yale Child Center or or whatever it's called. Yeah, I read on it the other night. Yeah. Yeah. They tracked the eye movement of the teachers. So they would go into the classroom and say, okay, you know, we want to see what kids are misbehaving. And instead of just sort of taking the teacher's reports, they literally tracked where the teachers were looking. So this is the idea of implicit bias, yeah. right? So the teacher walks in and of course, black boys were number one, white boys were number two, white girls were number three, and black girls were number four, which tell in terms of most frequently watched, mm-hmm. meaning that I expect you to misbehave. So of course, the black boy narrative we heard, we're very clear, you know, but when you look at the black girls over here at the bottom, are they just being ignored? Are teachers not looking at them at all? Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, we have our boys being hyper-surveyed, right? Where they're being watched all the time because I expect them to be bad. Mm-hmm. And we can ignore the black girls. They're going to be fine. They've always been fine. That's systematic racism mm-hmm. in a preschool classroom. That is right? so crazy. We see other examples of systematic racism wow. um, in terms of the roles that students are assigned in class. Uh, my dissertation chair, Amanda Lewis, has written a book called Race in the Schoolyard. And the premise, the general premise of the book is that we are le- we're taught race through interactions that we have in classrooms. Mm -hmm. So she gave this example of a young black boy who raised his hand to go to the bathroom. Teacher wouldn't let him go. Teacher let other kids go, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's kind of like, well, what is it about this kid that doesn't allow him to go to the bathroom? Are you suggesting that he's a criminal and that he won't behave when he leaves the classroom or that he's dishonest and that he really doesn't have to go so he's not worthy Mm -hmm. of going to the bathroom? But these are all messages that are relayed not just to the black boy, but to everybody around him about what his black boyness means, Mm. right? Another example of systematic racism. So we also see it, you mentioned test scores. I know I'm just, y'all stop me because I'll just keep going. You also mentioned test scores (laughs) earlier. You know, we got a good guess. When we can be quiet, this is wonderful. This (laughs) this is what you want. Right. So when we look at test scores and you mentioned looking at your district's scores, Mm -hmm. did you look at how they were reported? So did they take out all the special needs kids? Oh, yeah, I did look at some of this. Did they share who the was fact. considered special needs? Yes. Right? Af- I found that stuff after the fact because you have to dig for that. You it's, have not, to, it's not going to be public. It's not the surface information. No, no, because that's the systematic yeah. racism. And because it's part of the system, right, it's embedded in sort of how our schools have been built mm-hmm. and sustain and survive. 
we're not going to put it out anything that could put us in jeopardy or question or challenge what we do. Mm-hmm. Hey, so to to that point for mm-hmm. for parents, listen. One thing that I, one one additional thing that I learned there is I noticed that the elementary school scores were high. Mm-hmm. The high school scores were high, middle but school. all the middle schools were depressed. Right. And I dug into that and I found out that's because at the elementary school level, there's so many elementary schools that they self-segregate. That's right. And in the, the high school, well, let's skip the high school, right? There's so many elementary schools, they self-segregate. So that helps the scores to look better in the white areas. That's right. The middle schools, they can't do that because there are far fewer middle schools. Mm-hmm. So all those kids go to those Dumped schools. together. Mm-hmm. And now... It's it's all the kids who are deemed bad or troublemakers or great, and you've got all this pulled together. Which pull they can't hide the scores in the middle schools as well. That's right. But they force those children out <sighs> in the middle school, so by the time they get to high school, the scores shoot back up again. That's also not <laughs> you have to dig to figure that stuff out. Right, because but, tracking is yeah, real in these yeah. high schools, and what we find is that tracking happens in private schools in the exact same way it happens mm-hmm. in public schools. Mm-hmm. So if you think that by paying twenty five thousand dollars to send your kids to one of these independent schools in Atlanta. You're going to avoid the systematic racism? Not think again. Too. Yeah. It's because it's, it's, it's human-based. It's people. Right. So, right. so yeah. We've been raised with these yes, values. We've seen right. it since we were born. And in some cases, before we were born, when we were that's born right. into these families where we have no friends of other colors and what have you. Um, but I was going to reference the, the test scores, right? So we mm-hmm. know that our black boys and increasingly our black girls are more likely to be labeled special ed. Mm-hmm. And so their test scores are pulled out of these numbers that are reported. Mm. The special ed scores are in it. They're reported differently than the general education population scores. pull those scores down. Right. And so we, we, we need to be a great district. So I'm going to put you over here. Whether you should be special ed or not. Right. Right. So that's another conversation. That's another conversation. So yeah. all of these are examples of systematic racism. I, I can't help but wonder if all things were equal, if all those scores were counted, with the scores then between these suburban white schools and inner city or suburban black schools, would they, would they normalize? Would they become closer? Would that disparity no. gap change at all? They would not. Okay. Because the great teachers do not want to teach in uh, right. black schools or poor schools. Is the pay the same? Why? For a number of reasons. So in some cases, the pay is the same okay. based on your level of education. In other cases, if I don't have to spend time oh, working with disciplinary issues uh, or parents who are not educationally on my level, right. then why? I've, I've got... I've got I excellent education. Yes, I right. Enough. I go yeah. with the easier yeah. job. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's very it's very way. rational, right? Yeah, so you like can't a, fault the teachers. <laughs> pick this hard job right here or this easy one. Right. I'm gonna go with easy. I'm gonna go with the easy right. one. Right. Yeah. And so you can't fault the teachers, but right. what we can do is fault the system because maybe there should be incentives to get mm-hmm. these excellent teachers to teach in these poor, Absolutely. darker districts. Yeah. Right? Which comes yeah. back to funding. Right. Which comes back to funding that we, funding is a conversation in and of itself. Isn't that the truth? Right? Because I'm sure in your district, your PTA is well-funded. Yes. There are other districts where that is not the case. Not the case at all. Right? Because you have CEOs and COOs and CFOs and all these people who are able to donate ad nauseum, if you will, to your PTSA. Whereas we have other PTAs or PTSAs where you're just trying to get members that aren't teachers to be a part. And part of that is because right. parents themselves had bad experiences when they were in school. So they're not trying to come back to the schoolhouse. Just do what the teacher says. Don't have them calling me. Mm-hmm. Keep right? me out of it. Right. right. And so children right. get abused. They get taken advantage of. They have these awful experiences, but their parents don't want to be involved because of their own experiences. So what we have is this sort of big ball of racist inequality that happened generations ago that just gets larger and larger with each successive generation. 
That's it's it's, it's scary. Middle class or not? Right. Yeah, that's really. But then concerning. what is the black middle class? To your point, earlier? right? What it, it doesn't even really exist. Right. Like this construct is here. Does it? Is it? Is it real though? Mm. So I want to ask hmm. a question. You you talked about your research a little bit already. Hmm. So of all the research you've done, what are the? If you could boil it down to the three hardest hitting pieces of information that black parents and arguably black students need to know, what would it be? All right, this is where it gets personal, so I hope y'all are ready. We're ready. Mm-hmm. Okay. I started personal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So number one, the title of my dissertation was Chasing the Dream. Okay. I have an amazing quote from a father in my dissertation who talked about how when he and his wife first bought their home, they bought it in a black middle-class area, or at least what they thought. But after their home was burglarized three times, they moved to a white area. Right. And, you know, he's describing, I thought that the level would rise, that we'd be able to bring everybody up, but we're not getting beat up anymore. And then he references his friend. And he says, my friend says he doesn't mind chasing the dream, right, with the idea that we keep running after these sort of white neighborhoods. Because, of course, when a neighborhood becomes too black, right. the white folks leave again. White flight, we've known about it since yep. the 1970s. It's not a new thing. <laughs> um, so we're chasing, right, because we keep running to them. Because when they leave, the resources go with them. The, the parks, the schools, all mm-hmm. these things that we should have through our property taxes— Follows mm-hmm. the white folks, right? So mm-hmm. this father talks about how I don't mind. My, my buddy says he doesn't mind chasing the dream mm-hmm. as long as he can burn the bridge after him. Mm. Because again, oh, if, hold, too many, if too many of us come, they're going to leave. And I'm going to have to leave again to follow them. I, I'm forced to question what does the visualization of his dream look like? Correct. Because it, my dream doesn't exist if there ain't black people there with me. I have to... Ha- Burn the bridge burn behind me? Burn the bridge me? behind me. And you'll see it hopefully published soon. But yes, burn the bridge. Yeah, let it marinate. <sighs> let it, I know. <laughs> but it makes me think that whatever that trauma was that occurred was so strong that it, it made him turn away from his people. Um, That's Here's the thing. Burn I would push back a little bit in that I don't know that he was traumatized any more than any of us have been. I think he just had the gall to state, I don't want your cousins to come over here and live with me. I mean, it's something we 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 joke about it. We do all the time, right? We do. We do I mean, we joke about it all the time. But I guess because I am the position I'm in now, it's like it just it just hurts me to hear that because it it reinforces it reinforces this negative thought process that's going to keep us from ever getting anywhere. And so, so you're <sighs> experiencing what Du Bois, I think, mm. experienced when he recanted the entire Talented Tenth. Yeah, yeah. Like, y'all, y'all up here know this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Right? You're not supposed to be hoarding it. There's a, there's a concept, speaking of Amanda, referencing her again, um, she and John Diamond uh, published a book a couple years ago where they talk about opportunity hoarding. So mm. when you're in these sort of white middle-class school environments, they should be the ideal environment. So it's a right. diverse environment, but the tracking still happens and all those sorts of things that many parents, white parents, will find out about opportunities and they don't share those opportunities, <sighs> right? I don't know that that's any different than what black middle-class parents are doing right. with black working class and black lower class folks. Yeah, it happens. I mean, I, I get it. it. It's hard to hear. Uh, it is. So that's my number one. <laughs> yeah, it is. So that's a classism issue. Yeah, but it's embedded in race, right? Yeah. Because we have adopted the same values of our cousins. I don't want them niggas with me. Right. That's, yeah. Pretty much, as yeah. mainstream society has. Right? And I have very clear co- quotes, and this is moving into my second one, okay. where we discuss very clearly, I don't want my child to be around these type of people. I don't want my child to, I have another quote from a mom, 
a dissertation. These, these qualitative interviews, you always, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Come on. Um, but she talked about how um, I'm going to have to change my son's school because the parents are coming up here with rollers in their hair, with uh, house shoes on. She uh-huh. talked about one little girl whose legs were ashy. On awards day, I had to explain what ashy was. And right. so for the listeners, ashy is dry skin and the skin flakes, so it turns white on brown uh, skin. It looks really bad. If you don't know what ashy skin is, this might we be have the a wrong diver- podcast. We have a diverse audience. You. you have a diverse nah, audience. I guess you're right. We just, we just, we just read <laughs> Pat Pitt. What? Right. You're right. Yeah. I'm sorry, audience. listeners. Maybe you don't know what ashy is. <laughs> if you, um, no, if you don't, your card. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me bring that Say back. Forget boys, yeah. forget boys in the hood. Forget boys in the hood. Yeah, everybody should know what ashy right. is. Right. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. she, she wanted to separate her child from these larger stereotypes, these yeah. larger black stereotypes. And so this goes back to the paradox of the middle class. Yeah. Like, for us to be solidly middle class, we have to separate and distinguish ourselves from yeah. black working class and black lower class, because I'm not that kind of black. Right. We're this kind of black. And I've said that to my children. Like, we're not like yeah. them. I've used that language. And it is an indictment. Yeah, right? It it's is. like, how, how dare how do dare? I? But I'm trying to position myself because it's schools so reward middle class behavior. And like, middle class behavior mm. is associated with whiteness. Yeah. I mean, because it is so tough because you are faced with this decision. And it's a right? horrible decision. It is. Do I sacrifice myself and my family? for the greater good of my community, mm-hmm. or do I disassociate with my community for the greater good of my family? I mean, and the argument could, could go deeper. Like, if you disassociate to become middle class, then maybe your position is, I want to be a shining beacon of what you could be. But then are you then pushing people to make the same decision that you did and disassociate in order to get here? Correct. And, and that's, so, that's tough. You know what? I think we all do this anyway. Yeah, I think like we do. Like, it feels horrible to we, say it, to, to hear say it, it, and to know that you do it, because right. I know I do it. Right. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I don't, yeah, we ain't gonna be around these niggas. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we're not <laughs> right. going over there with them. Like, these some different type of black people. Baby, mm-hmm. did you, right? Did you lock, I didn't hear the car. Did you lock the car? Right. Yeah. You, okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah. And I mean, I live. That's a choice here. you have to make, too. <laughs> yeah. Daily. So daily, wow. but it's so normalized. It doesn't even feel bad when we're making those choices because until you success. hear someone say, "Burn the bridge behind you." Th- this is the American dream. We're getting yeah. it. I hate when we record and I, I end up feeling bad. I do, yeah. I do, I... <laughs> Good. That means my work is not in vain. No, right. <laughs> no, I joke. And then, and what's then the, the, the solution to that, though? Ooh, we have to rehaul the system. That's the solution, and none of us are willing to make that sacrifice. Because that's that's a tough one. That's because fundamentally, what, what, right? Like what I know saying. I do that. And I'm 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 kind of kicking myself because I know I do this and I know we all do this in some element, and it's horrible to do that. The it's question like, is, what, it, would you be is. the martyr for the cause? The answer is, the, and I that's, don't think that's, so. Or would you would you sacrifice your children? Right, absolutely not. But do you have to? Like, how do you stay? How do you stay that, completely the, associated with your community without? It's like in the hate you give. Have y'all seen the movie or at Absolutely. least read the book? Love it. Yeah. By the so, way, I want to give a shout out to Nick Stone, who did not write The Hate You Give, but is associated with Angie Thomas, who did. She wrote Dear Martin, which we'll be having a discussion with her about soon. Dear Martin is another. Have you read that one? No, but I've seen it. Amazing. <laughs> oh. Sorry, but go ahead. Okay, so so the, the struggle that Star has, right? And trying to be her home self, her school self. Mm-hmm. That, that is what we do to our kids every day in trying to equip them and prepare them for what's best. There is no right answer because there is no place for us. The system was not designed for people like us. That's right. 
We have to go out and create it our own schools. for people like them to keep us in Out. our place. Absolutely, Correct. which is why we're not getting our con- we're not being taught to consciously learn and to challenge and to raise our understanding. Mm. So much. I'm just trying to. Like it even goes back. <laughs> if you think it, even goes back Man, to slavery. That's right? deep. When we were enslaved people, here we go. We had to operate inside of the premise that I can barely protect myself, so I'm going to do everything I can to protect me and my family. But I can't worry about everyone else out there I because I could come back to this place tonight and my children are gone. That's right. So like it's, when when that is passed down to you because you can say what you want but that still lives inside of us because it was not that many generations ago that that behavior hasn't followed us. That's right. How do you win when that is designed inside of you? And you have to be honest oh, in wow. questioning <laughs> you have to be honest in questioning the intentionality of that design. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's honestly, not we're no. actually a it was part a hell of, of a system too. Yeah, so we're actually a part of the problem in the system. Like yeah. what we're doing is the problem. Like we're, because what we're, we define as success, correct, is the thorn in the side of everyone else. That's correct, it. that's it. And everyone else that looks like us that aren't like us. Because we I'm think sorry, we're Andrew, can middle I just, class. Can I just use one curse word? Yes, be comfortable. Like, we kind of ain't shit. You know, we kind of ain't shit. <laughs> if you woke, you ain't shit. Because you're doing, you, you do this. We do this. If you're middle class black, you ain't shit because we do this. Which is what Frazier said. Yes, exactly. A long time ago. Yep. And we like, oh, he's so shady. Mm. No. Now we shady. Mm. Then when you break it down, like, you don't think about it. Like, we're thinking, hey, we need to just burn the bridge, right? Like, that's a horrible thing to do. Right. And we burning the bridge. And it's it exactly sounded awful we when did. we heard it, right? Yes. But then you're like, but... And then you realize it's I you. I it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I hit... Hmm. Okay. I feel real bad about it. I do myself. too, yeah. And, and listen, just so I you know, like... This, this, I, when, I, we, I when we good. take it this route. I, I mentor, I, I give back, but I ain't shit. <laughs> I need a moment. <laughs> This episode is making me feel as bad as the one we did on on black masculinity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that moment when you realize you are the problem. That's right. Mm. I was, you know, and that's a horrible choice that we got to make. But you, you have to make it. Okay, I'm sorry. We we got so off base uh, because I feel bad. Point one, point two, and you you hadn't made point. I have not made my third point yet. Okay, my third point. A number of parents, well, all the parents that I interviewed all talked about how they didn't take anybody's word for the schools that they were choosing for their children, Mm -hmm. that they had to go lay eyes themselves. Um, They talked about interviewing principals. And I was like, what what qualification do you have to interview the principal? Mm -hmm. But they really wanted to hear somebody say that they would be invested in their little brown child. They really wanted to hear that. So parents are searching for this ideal case, this ideal situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, And the hard pill to swallow, as I've said multiple times, is that it doesn't exist. So we put our kids, and especially elementary school kids, you know, we put them and they're playing with their little white friends until they're not little black boys anymore. Yep. And then it's not cute to play. It's not cute to go on a date with my, my white daughter or what have you. And so when we interview <sighs> these places, we interview these people trying to make sure that it's a safe space mm-hmm. for a child, that space can't exist in this country that is not a safe space for us. Right. True. How do you have a safe space True. inside of a space that isn't safe? And we're reminded and it of that. it was never designed to be safe. It was never designed. And, and that's, that's the hard pill, I yep. think, for most of us to swallow, is the intentionality of this system. A system that is redesigned or designed from an educational standpoint for us, do you think that is the answer? So I'm going to say yes, but let me qualify. Okay. okay. So when we look back at 
desegregate, uh, desegregation and what that did to the black community, mm-hmm. right? It ripped us apart. Right. Um, and I never, you'll never hear me use integration because we're still not integrated. True. Even though we've been trying for a real long time. And I use trying loosely. We haven't been trying. Right. Um, that with, we you know, say it, brown be bored. Yeah, right. with all deliberate speed lies. Um, so <laughs> when we really take assessment of how strong our communities were during segregation. Yeah. Right. In terms of our mentalities, our understanding, our camaraderie, our... Um, familial, the sort of family environment that we had. So whether, you know, your uncle was the biggest criminal in town or the judge, you still were a part of our community. Right. Desegregation ended that because those of us that were able to leave left. left. And with each generation, those of us that are able to leave, leave, Leave. burn the bridge behind us. And so what we've left is all those bad cousins Mm -hmm. together learning from each other. And they don't see us. They don't see what we do as attainable, as accessible, as real. Yeah. And we we may reach back occasionally for a mentorship or we might do a workshop, you know, through one of our organizations. And then we go back to our very white homes, yeah. our and very that, white that makes neighborhoods. Us feel better. It may it may add something, but it's not it's not it's not the answer. Right. And so that's why I think that we would have to create a system where we are the bottom and the top and every level in between, because then we see ourselves reproduced at every level. Yeah. We see I was at a, I was at an event recently where uh, it was a Black History wow. Observance. The national, Sorry, the Negro, Na- Black National, I don't know what we call it now, the, the Black Negro National Anthem. Right. Negro, I don't know what use, Negro, Black, whatever it Who is. Knows. So, lift every voice and sing. Right. Mm-hmm. I learned all three verses in seventh grade. Not in my traditional school, but in a, a alternative Black people's program that my parents put me in. That's where I learned all three verses. So, I stand up. I look around. It's about five other people standing up. Now, everybody in this space is Black. Except for maybe three people. Everybody in this space is black. Y'all just stood up for the pledge. Y'all just stood up for the pledge in English and in Spanish. And then sat and down. And then sat down. And these are adults. These are children. And I'm like, what a missed opportunity. Here we are in an educational system that has already tossed us aside. Right? So when you look at a school and you see it's predominantly black, you're already like, I ain't seen a monkey is there. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's a space that has already been discarded. Right? They're not following what we're doing. What a rich opportunity to teach our children what they're not learning in these other spaces, what they may try to prevent us from teaching our children. And yet these babies didn't even know to stand, let alone know the lyrics. And then they clapped early, so we get to the third, vo- third verse. We're not finished. They thought it was over. And I, my heart was broken mm. because I said, here we are in what I'm sure is a Title I educational environment, very low poverty, and these children don't even know that they're supposed to stand for lift every voice and sing. They don't know what, what is in the, the lyrics that the Johnson brothers put together. They're completely unaware of the power of these words. But they stood up for the pledge mm. in English and Spanish. That's because that's what they're told to do. That's, that's, what, that's they're what they're taught. taught to do. Right. And that's why mm. I think uh, we need to design a system that teaches all of that. Where are we teaching math and science? My husband uh, was a math teacher for many, many years. He doesn't teach the Pythagorean theorem. He teaches the so-called Pythagorean theorem. Because Pythagoras went to Egypt to learn that. When our babies understand, when they understand who they are, you're descendants of kings and queens. I will call you prince and princess in this classroom. When they get that, their minds are open. As opposed to go through this metal detector, Mm -hmm. you sit over here, I'm going to put you on an island over here in the corner by yourself, you're doing way too much. That's not how we talk to our kids. We can't allow them to remain in that system. I just want to say that 
Amen. It no longer matters to me that you didn't know cornmeal because your black card is secure. <laughs> Platinum black card. <laughs> your black card is secure. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. <sighs> I'm going to get you a black you body black card for anyone who even wants to challenge your black I card. I will take it. Good Lord. Yeah, I mean, and this mm. is a real dilemma. I love the way you answered that. Didn't she lay that out? I love the way I... I almost stood up. It's a real dilemma. I 100% agree. I moved to Georgia because there was no African-American or colored kids in my daughter's daycare. In her daycare? Her daycare. We came here from the same place. Where okay. My mm-hmm, children were mm-hmm. the only one in their grades. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I've, I've been on that thought process for a long time. So, to hear you say that, that would be probably what we need is is enlightening. Well, and for me, it's really, really personal. So as you stated, I did undergrad at Spelman. Mm-hmm. And as I've mm-hmm. already shared, um, you know, I was at a very, very diverse high school. Excellent mm-hmm. high school. Academically prepared me. I was, I was, I was great. Um, but it wasn't until I got to Spelman that I understood all of who I was. Right. And that's why I love HBCUs to this day. Amen. Because it is a safe Absolutely. space. Southern University. Langston University. Spelman. <laughs> and, and I'm a professor yes. at Morehouse. I don't know that we said that. But I'm, I'm able to approach topics in a very particular way. Because whether you're black or not, mm-hmm. being in this space, you understand that we're black-centered. Right. That mm-hmm. does not happen in our educational systems. We are never centered. Ever. Right. We, we may be centered for 28 days and they teach us a cotton-picking right. song. Right. Right. right? Um, or we revisit all these, you know, murdered civil rights heroes or slaves. That's it. But we're not centered. So when I talk about, I teach a class, criminology. When I talk about the labeling theory, mm-hmm. I spend a significant amount of time. The labeling theory, just, just quickly, just right? Just because you mentioned it, break it down for <laughs> our listeners. Please the labeling theory us. is an idea that when a label is attached to you or a name is attached to you, that everybody treats you according to that label. And so because you're treated according to that label, you act according to that label. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. right? So I use that in my class as an opportunity mm-hmm. to talk about what happens to felons once they're free, right? Because that's a label. Right. And so they serve their time, but that label follows them. They can't get a job. They can't get public housing. They can't vote or they have to go through all these different processes to vote. I'm not able to do that everywhere. Right. But in a space where blackness is centered and we all know somebody who's Mm -hmm. had that journey, I'm able to discuss it in ways and just to to hit Mm -hmm. these really rich moments in my classroom. And I think if we were able to expose that to children at a much earlier age, yes. we'd be much better off as a people. It's because you said that, it makes me think, I've got several friends who are educators, mm-hmm. and all of them say the same thing. And I think it, it comes mostly from the, run, the ones who are doing substitute work because they see it the clearest. Yeah. The clearest. So one of my friends in Charlotte, she um, was subbing at a school for like a week or so. Mm-hmm. And when she got there, the teacher who was, she was subbing for was there, right? They were mm-hmm. swapping out. She was leaving. And so my friend sat in there and the teacher, probably well-intentioned, decided to give her the lay of the land. These students are great. Watch out for this one, this one, and this one, mm-hmm. right? Labeling theory. Exactly. The three that she said, watch out for, two young black boys, one black girl. She told them specifically, as punishment, they're not allowed to come on the carpet during reading time or whatever it was. So it was that time all the students came down, except for the three who knew they couldn't. They stayed back. And my friend said, no, we're not going to do this. You come down here. First off, each kid was incredibly hesitant to move, to come down. 
And when they got there, bone quiet. Couldn't get them to interact. It took her two days. But she said that by the time that third day rolled around and they opened up, one of them specifically, she said he was the brightest young boy she had met. But she recognized it was a, a cultural incompetence on the teacher's part Correct. that led there, right? That's the, the boy was so bright, so brilliant, that he became a pain to the teacher because she told me, this little boy kept me in line all day. He told me where to be, when to be, how That's to stand. Right. We have to do this. We need to do this. We're not supposed to do this. He knew where all the things were in the classroom. Mm-hmm. He asked the best questions. Mm-hmm. But because of that, he probably became a pain to the teacher who didn't want to go through that. So he and because of that label, he shut down. That's right. He shut up. And it took this friend of mine to As bring him back out. Right. right. So he would have never and, reached his potential otherwise. Yeah. And yep. when, when the teacher comes back, he goes right back in his Correct. Seat. He has to. Yeah. Because she's not going to accept him. Correct. She's not going to let that be out. Which is, it goes back to that point, right? Where if we're centered, like she she didn't allow him to, to be outside of that circle. Mm-hmm. She allowed, she she forced him to come in. You are who I say you are. If mm-hmm. we're centering, That's it. oh, yeah. That's mm. a great solution. All right. So we were talking about labeling. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about centering. But as we relate back to the school system as it re- as it is today, how important is cultural competence? Hmm. It's extremely important. It doesn't important. even exist at this point. I don't know that it can exist because when you look at teacher training programs, and mm. one of my dear friends, Joseph Lynn, who's a professor at Northern Illinois University, writes, he does work on how white teachers should be prepared to address race right. in the classroom. Because we know that, if I'm not mistaken, I think the numbers are 20% of our teaching staff are teachers of color. Right. Which means that 80% are. Thought, I, I, yeah, well, in black men is 2%. Yeah, and black men in Atlanta, that. I think, is 8%. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm better, but, you know. but. And so, you know, when we talk about people of color, that's a broader swath, right? Right. Um, but most of the non people of color are white women. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, well, they're scared of us. They're. Society, they've been socialized in a particular Correct. way, right? Yeah. So th- these implicit biases are put into them early, early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so Joseph Lynn does work on how do we better prepare these white female teachers mm-hmm. to interact with students of color because that's who they're going to be teaching. Right. Um, and that happens so infrequently in programs. So often our teacher training programs, whether, in, whether through a traditional four-year teacher prep program where you earn a degree in teaching or whether you do an alternative certification or those mm-hmm. sorts of things, we spend time just talking about pedagogy, right? This is a strategy. This is a way to teach. This is, this is how you do. We don't talk about cultural competence. Yeah. I don't think that it's been perceived as important. It's not. Because it's not. Mm. Right? Like these black kids are either going to get in line. These brown kids are going to learn English. Right. They're going to get in line with us. They're going to conform. Or they're going to, the to assimilate or, or they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so That's is it shame. important? Absolutely. Because as I was driving uh, through Atlanta this morning, I saw the bell hooks quote where she talks about the beloved community. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And the beloved community is respecting and valuing differences. Right. That's the real definition of diversity. Right. That's the real definition is that, yes, you're different. Mm-hmm. And I love those differences. So bring the food with the different smells, bring the, yep. you know, the different clothing. We don't do that as a country. We have a president right now who's the most xenophobic American I think I've ever heard. I didn't know we had a president right now. Fair enough. I didn't, I didn't even know. Fair he's enough. holding a role, but he's, he's in the not office. presidential. Right. Oh, you mean President Trump? Oh, I, okay. I, got, <laughs> I know he's talking about now. Yes. Sorry. Agent Sorry Orange. So, right. Agent Orange. So, his, so, so that xenophobia that is allowed to persist in this country is extremely problematic. And we see it 
reflected at every level and our poor babies who did not get to determine what family they were born into, what school they were gonna attend. We just tell them what to do. They're the ones who suffer the most. And so then they come out bruised and battered and then try to figure out what bridges to burn to make sure that their kids come out less bruised and battered. Right. And so it's this, it's this generational process. That's tough. So we're getting closer to the end. I want I want to make sure we get a couple more questions in. Your dissertation has to be amazing, doesn't it? It's rich. I, I, I man, I have rich. to consume that. I have to <laughs> consume. I love. That. Yes, I have to. So you, we were talking about cultural competence. We talked about people of color teachers, uh, men, black men teaching. Um, how do or what role should us as parents play to help our children recognize and realize? what black excellence should be if when in this place where they spend the bulk of their time, That's right. there are no examples of what black excellence should be, could be. So here's a catch 22, Okay, right? Because one thing that I did not share earlier is that often, and I know you mentioned that you're running for a position in your school's mm-hmm. PTA, which I think is amazing. I mm-hmm. certainly, I currently serve as a PTA president myself. Mm-hmm. My husband has been PTA president. That is very important, but understand that your actions will be perceived through this larger social umbrella. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I go in to advocate for my child Mm -hmm. and potentially do the exact same thing, say the exact same things as a white mother, I'll be perceived as an angry black woman because that's the larger social narrative. Mm -hmm. You'll be perceived as the big threatening black man. I have another. I have another. excellent, And you didn't you wouldn't even have to be. You could be a little one of a black man, but you're a black man. To them, I'm probably seven two four twenty. Exactly. I have an Mm -hmm. example in my dissertation. All Lexus. Right. (laughs) Right. How much weight can you lift? All, All of, of it. it. <laughs> the whole school. Right. And so so while you're even in these school spaces, your children see you, right. but they hear the whispers. They see yeah. how you're responding to. They see the frightening. One one of the examples of my dissertation. I never um, thought about that side. Oh, let me shut up. Sorry. Well, no, but it's it's important, right? Because you're, you're going to need to be able to negotiate that, yeah. right? And navigate that well. Because when you already walk into the room, you've already been sized up. Right. And that's just, that's how, that's psychology, right? That's yeah. how we operate with schemas. Right, too much information, so we, we put it in the boxes. We make sense of it. Right. Um, so, on the one hand, the big black man box. Right, the big, that's, that's the box that you're in, especially when you're in a non-black environment. You know, right. so if I see you like my uncle, so I'm I just like, shouldn't wear this shirt when please I please don't, please, please, yeah, please keep that. Listen, my up. shirt says black AF. Yeah, don't do that at your first PTA meeting. Okay. Um, don't do that when you're running for office. Um, so, so on the one hand, our children need to understand. <laughs> <laughs> Our children need to understand that there are these larger narratives, right. but they do not apply to you. They apply mm-hmm. to a cartoon or a movie or something. And and you need to, ex- ex- and, and we do this all the time with my right. kids. When we walk into a room and I tell my daughter, by wearing this, I know that I'm communicating these messages up front. Mm. My daughter wears her hair natural. I, I don't. Um, I was raised differently. I like right. the, it's, it's not, you know, I'm natural, it's, right. but it's, it's pressed. Gotcha. And my daughter's like, no, mom, you got to embrace your curl. And I said, in my day, embracing my curl would have gotten me in a completely different category. Right. Right. I'm glad that y'all can embrace it now. That's good. I wasn't raised now. So here in Atlanta, in Metro Atlanta, correct. Right. You can embrace it. Right. In other places, it's still the way it was for me growing up mm-hmm. in the 90s, right? Yep. In the 80s. So, so on the one hand, be aware of those and be able to engage your children and don't let somebody else define what your black excellence looks like. Right. Right. And don't succumb to those definitions. Again, labeling theory, right? Right. So the other piece is we have to be very intentional to expose our kids to black excellence, however we define it. Because, of course, there is no one definition of black excellence, right? We all have our own definitions. 
Um, so whether that's through organizations like a Jack and Jill or um, by exposing them to the 100 Black Men or these other programs, um, other groups, you know, maybe at church. You know, if you attend a predominantly black church, they're able right. to see that. But you have to be very intentional about doing that. In, in my family, we decided to live in a black neighborhood, in a black community. So we're not on this side of town. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and for I a wish. while, I was running to put my kids in these integrated recreational activities. So we would drive 30 minutes to play baseball and right. drive 30 minutes to play soccer. Um, and out of all of that driving, I think my son was invited to one of his teammates' birthday parties. And we went, and it was fun. And I realized that the reason my son was invited is because this boy had no other friends. So it was me and him and his mom. (laughs) That was his birthday party. And maybe there was another party that I didn't know about, and he just wanted to do something with my son. After that, I said, we're not not running across town anymore. We're not going to run to be in a place that we're not wanted. Right? And so, you know, if my children excel in ways that they're in these sort of diverse experiences, I do that. But for me, black excellence is my standard. That's my norm. So I expose them to black folks who are doing great things, black thought that is great. And I think that's something that we do not do enough of for our children is teach them the ways of our great thinkers. Help them to understand this is the thought pattern. This is the thought process. This is where they were going. And what are your thoughts? Because you're just as great. That's right. right? Your ideas are just as valid. They're just as supported. That's right. And so often it's like, oh, look, look at Michelle Obama. Go be Michelle. Michelle is fabulous. But, but listen to Becoming. Read Becoming. Right. There's a lot more than just Michelle. Exactly. Exactly. And it took a lot more than just Michelle. And mm-hmm. honestly, like just on that example, I think it's important to be grounded in what black excellence is before exploring Michelle Obama because she is subject to so many opinions. That's right. That then can impact your confidence in your own opinion. That's right. That's right. And so that, that's, that's what I think we have to do right. in order to frame this idea of black excellence. Yeah. But we have to be very intentional, and many of us are not. True story. Many of us just try to move to the right neighborhood, put our kids in the right school that may not be right for us, and we just go along to get along. And we're yeah. doing, in my opinion, a disservice to our kids. And that's exactly where I am now. Like, I, I don't know if I've made the right decisions. Trying my best to make the right decisions. I often now wonder if I made the wrong decision. But by that time, I own a home. Property, it gets real tough. So I have to work harder to try to make sure that I become that example and lead them toward other examples. It's it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, these kids. Man. And you and your neighbors. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So we, we've talked about a lot, and this is a huge issue, <laughs> right? Black neighbors, too, which is great. <laughs> Are they American? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. That's a good distinction because I... <laughs> I, was I have some, but they are not all American. Yeah. And there's a there's you got a different some Nigerians. You got mm-hmm. You're right. You're yeah. right. So this is a this is a very big <sighs> and very complicated issue. So the first thing I want to ask is, I hope you'll be willing to come back. Oh, yeah, would have me back. You, I would yeah, love to come absolutely. back. Absolutely. Yeah. Because like, you saw the questions. I, we, I think we, we got through like two and a half, I know, three of them. I know. <laughs> yeah. And I told you we weren't going to get through all of them, but the answers were so good. Yeah. I want to. I want to. I, I would love for you to come back, and I want to go through your dissertation. <laughs> like, I'm re- like, I think our listeners really, like, I know I, I need— they benefit I need, from that. Yeah, I, like, I want to go through it and then talk about it, like, specifically the pieces like make in it, it the topic. Correct. Well, the last question I want to ask, and this is a bigger one, right? I know we've talked about these issues that are very, very complex, and, and there are no—I don't think there is a single answer that exists that will solve these problems. But what are your thoughts on— What's the next big step a parent should take? 
So this is partly what I hope you all experienced today. And I experienced as I was collecting my research is that we have to be honest about what our goals are. Mm-hmm. We have to be very clear. And, and some, for some of us, that may mean we don't, we're not as black as we think. Correct. Right? And we, got, we have to be okay embracing yes. that. Yep. Right? Because it goes back to the earlier question. Yep. Black is everything. Yeah. Black is everything. So I may not be as black as you, and I'm okay with that. Black or I may me, need to be blacker. You. Black is hard work. That's what old girl, the, the poet said. Uh-huh. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Black is that's hard a work. beautiful poem. So, so I think that that's, songbird. that's where yeah, we have to yep, start. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we have to start. We have to start with just being honest. And if, if that honesty is too real and we mm-hmm. need to change it, then we need to be able to change it, right? Whatever that looks like. So maybe it's doing more black things. Maybe it's being in more black communities. Maybe it's being in fewer, you know, what have you. We've we got to figure that yep. out. The other piece is that we have to the have... The blackness trade-off. Right, the blackness trade-off. That, that might be a chapter. The other piece is that we have to be honest with our children and start engaging them in conversations early. Yep. Because race happens early, right? Like when you ask folks... What is your earliest racialized experience? When did you realize you were black? Right. Many people realize it in the first five years of life, mm-hmm. especially if they're in racially diverse environments, mm-hmm. because somebody's going to come and say, how you get your hair like that? Or why is your skin so dark? Or those sorts of things. And we have almost been afraid to have those conversations with our kids because we're post-racial, yeah. right? So we don't need to talk about black in that way because, you know, it doesn't matter. But it matters more, I would argue, now mm-hmm. than even in years past when I it was agree. stated for you, right? Now you've got to know you have to say it. So I think that parents have to be very, very honest with themselves and with their children about what race, what race means and how race works in this country. Wow. And then I think that we have to be our children's biggest advocates. We have to forget what the cost may be to us mm-hmm. and put our kids first. And so whether that's with the school administrators, with district officers, with teachers in the classrooms, we have to be our kids' biggest advocates. That was lovely. Well, listeners, this is the end of the episode. We're going to do our normal. Um, Adria, we always hand the mic over to our guest at the end (laughs) to say whatever it is that's on their heart. And then we get out of here. So real quick, Art, you got anything, brother? Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I, I love the thought process. This is my most enlightened session. I would say, because I think about yeah. my kids so much. Um, so thank you. Hopefully our listeners captured these nuggets. Please replay and share this one with as many folks as you possibly can. So Especially important. folks who have children, kids, all the way up through the entire educational system. I think there's extreme value and benefit. Absolutely. Adria, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for talking to us about these issues because as we talked about for a long time, it's very, very personal to me. And I know that I'm not the only person who feels this pressure and who's wondering these things. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming through and really kind of enlightening us. And just for honestly, giving us a dope episode. This was really amazing. Um, mm-hmm. To my listeners out there, all I want you to do is listen learn, research, right? Through education, whether it's in our school system or the education that you go and get on top of that, you can make yourself better. You can strengthen your family, your children, and you can help to create that future that you're looking for. But pay attention to what she said today because I can't even, I can't even tell you like how important the things that we went over are. And I'm going to shut up because I can't 
overcome. I can't do any better than what she's already done. So I'm just going to hand the mic over to you, Adria. Tell the people how to catch up with you, how to find you, and then close us out, please. Oh, that's a, a high order. Um, first of all, let me thank you all for inviting me um, and giving me no this thanks. platform. We thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Give me this platform to get my work out there because I think it's 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 so important. It's just so important. And to be on a show called Wild Black, when we think about being middle class while while black, being middle class parents while black, all of this, the, the black piece is really maybe the most important. And we're in a society that doesn't necessarily reinforce that, doesn't tell us that, doesn't reiterate that. So we have to be the ones that continue to push that message, right? So thank you for the wild black um, opportunity. Um, I uh, am not really, really great on social media, but I do have a Facebook page. Um, My name is Adria Welcher. You can also get me at adria.welcher at morehouse.edu. I check that email every day. Um, That's my, uh, my job. I I think what is most important and the biggest takeaway from this conversation and other conversations like this is that we have to make our own reality. Reality is socially constructed, right? There's there's nothing hard and fast and, and formed. We shape it every day. We form it day after day with our interactions, with the things that we do, where we make our investments. So we have to be secure and confident that we are doing what is best for us on multiple dimensions. And we have to be able to define what is best for us and certainly what is best for our kids because we want them to have a better America than we have, right? Amen. We want them to have these options. So I hope that's closing us out. That's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Wild Black listeners, peace. We out.